Well, happy 250th birthday, historic Christ Church. And thank you so much for the invitation to share some of it with you. I gather it's been a, a long-term uh, long celebration, as well it should be. Needless to say, I'm honored to be here, and I bring you warm and official greetings from Virginia Theological Seminary, our Dean and President Ian Markham, and everyone else at the seminary wishes you well. As you know, this coming week, we are just about to mark the moment of our own 200th year, and we think that's a big deal. <laughs> but you at Christ Church were already here, preparing the way for us, along with St. Paul's Church, where the first classes were actually held. So we're all in this project of God's mission together, whether we focus on theological education or service to the community, it's good to be working with you. Today's lessons reflect what Dr. Alan Parent, who taught Christian ethics for many years at VTS, used to call the good news from the other side of the gospel, by which he meant the good news that God cares how we live our lives, that it isn't a matter of chance or do what you will because it doesn't make any difference. Instead, God cares enough about how we spend our precious lives, the short time we have here on earth, to give us moral instruction that will guide us in making wise decisions. We have that guidance in the form of a list of do's and don'ts. I'm sure you recognize the first lesson we heard as a slightly edited account of one of the two versions of the Ten Commandments, which God gave to Moses for the people of Israel. The other version is found in Deuteronomy 5, 6 to 21, and the two versions are quite similar. It was common for churches during the colonial period to have painted on the walls where you could not miss them. On one side, the Lord's Prayer and the Creed, and on the other side, the Ten Commandments. This tradition was already present in many English parishes, and it made its way over here. And there they are, <laughs> on your wall. You know there are other commandments in the Bible as well, like not moving boundary stones, or when you are harvesting your wheat or your grapes to leave some of the harvest at the edges of the field for the poor person who needs food. Or if your ox falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, you should go ahead and rescue it because the Sabbath is about giving life. The rabbis counted 613 different commandments in all, and people used to debate which commandments were the most important. You will remember that Jesus was asked that question, which one of the commandments is the most important? And instead, they got a bargain. He gave them two commandments that were most important. The first is to love God with everything in us, and the second is to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
Jesus may have been thinking about this list that we heard this morning. Because when you look more closely at them, the first four commandments, having no other gods before the Lord our God, making no idols that could be worshipped, using God's name, not using God's name wrongfully, and honoring God's holy Sabbath day, all four of those have to do with our relationship to God, while the other six commandments all concern our relationships with neighbors of various kinds, including parents. If we had the Hebrew in front of us today, you would see that the last five commandments are all in the form, all in the same form, the form of no doing this, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false witness, no coveting what belongs to your neighbor. When you think about these commandments taken together, they list agreements about things that will allow a group of people to live together peacefully. They're pretty basic, which is why these two lists of 10 commandments that you can count with two hands have been treasured in Judaism and in Christianity as valuable gifts of God for ordering our life together. The psalmist makes this explicit in Psalm 19, which we heard, the, this part of Psalm 19, we heard more in the hymn that we sang right after it, but I'll give you the parts that, um, that, were, that, are, that refer to the, the comment on the first lesson. The law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and gives wisdom to the innocent. The statutes of the Lord are just and rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear and gives light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, more than much fine gold, sweeter far than honey, than honey in the comb. By them also is your servant enlightened, and in keeping them there is great reward. In our overly litigious society, we sometimes forget that law is a gift that the rule of law is a gift, and that without the gift of a set of laws regulating behavior in the first place and specifying ways to keep peace while also compensating victims when something goes wrong means that we can continue to live together peaceably when accidents happen or even when there is a deliberate breaking of the law. Otherwise, it can be pretty brutal under a tribal system of revenge. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. Some of us have just learned about a situation in one small part of Africa where a young man was driving a car with a friend in the passenger seat they were in a horrible accident, and the friend was killed while the young driver lived. 
And now the family of the dead boy is trying to kill him. A life for a life. Tribal vengeance instead of law. Which is why I would suggest that we not read the gospel lesson for today as woodenly as it has been read in much of Christian tradition as God's vengeance on the Jews for killing his son. I suggest that even if we decide that the author of this gospel, the author whom we call Matthew, understood it that way. Matthew's version of this parable is considerably stronger than the version he inherited from Mark. And I think there is, very, there is a very good chance that Matthew believed that God allowed the temple in Jerusalem to be destroyed by the Romans in 70 CE and the city itself leveled because the religious leaders had handed Jesus over to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate who had him crucified. That's how it has been read um, often, but we can do better than to read it that way today. We can recognize that we only have one side of the story. We can remember that Matthew's community and the, probably the evangelist himself were in the middle of something very like a war with their Jewish neighbors right at the time that this gospel was being written. It's not necessary to repeat the mistakes of the past, especially the prejudices and injustices of the past. And this is the wonderful thing about recognizing an important milestone like 200 years or 250 years. An anniversary like this used to be the occasion for commissioning of a history of the parish. And older parish histories tended to be hagiographies, stories of the saints. They were legendary in character. Reading them, you would think that every rector walked on water, <laughs> that every parishioner supported everything the rector ever did, that vestry members always reached complete agreement and never quarreled, that everything was always done openly and fairly to everyone's satisfaction, and that they all lived happily ever after. By the way, there never was a church like that. <laughs> it's not that we're trying to get back to the New Testament church. What we learn about the earliest churches from reading the New Testament is that from the start, there was conflict, there were personality clashes, there was genuine disagreement about important issues, and sometimes schism, a complete failure to remain together at all. Many of the parish histories of the 19th and early 20th century simply did not report anything like that. Or if they had to, because everybody knew it, they glossed over it as quickly as possible. But thank God, times have changed. Not, to pick up on Paul, not that we have already obtained the power of the resurrection of the dead, 
or have already reached the goal of life eternal, but we press on to make it our own because Christ Jesus has made us his own. I know that Christ Church, like Virginia Seminary, has had the courage to face some of the less than wonderful parts of our history and to make the changes we need to make to be a better witness to our love for God and our love for our neighbors. Every culture has its blind spots and we can be kind in our memory of our forebears by wondering what people will say about us a hundred years from now. We don't know, we can't see our own blind spots. But when we do see them, the brave thing to do is to tell the truth about our history and begin the next 200 or 250 years in a better place. Well done, Christchurch, and happy birthday to you. <laughs>